guys. Welcome back to my podcast, The Tea on Mental Health, and I'm your host, Brittany O'Sullivan. Thank you guys for being patient and waiting for this episode. I know it has been a while, and I apologize. It has been crazy with the midst of everything going on and just life, and also, too, it's my exams right now, so it's been a little stressful, but we're back on track, so I'm excited to get some awesome content out there for you guys. So if you guys remember, this is going to be my second episode on my series on specific mental health disorders, and this one is on generalized anxiety disorder. And generalized anxiety disorder causes feelings of intense anxiety, worried, or nervousness about everyday life. People with, and you'll hear people abbreviate it too, so generalized anxiety can be called GAD, GAD, struggle to control these feelings, and conditions tend to interfere with their daily activities and personal lives and relationships. So GAD is actually a type of anxiety disorder, which is very common. It affects 3.1 of the population or 6.8 million adults in the U.S. alone in any given year. It is actually more common in women, interestingly, as well. Living with anxiety can be challenging. However, like other anxiety disorders, generalized anxiety disorder is highly treatable. Some of the most effective treatments include psychotherapy, medication, and making lifestyle changes. So I kind of wanted to go over today some of the symptoms. We're going to do our myth busting section at the end, and then what you can do for your loved ones or yourself if you are struggling with anxiety. So first, with symptoms. The symptoms of generalized anxiety can vary from one individual to another, so not everyone is alike. And also, symptoms may get better or worse at different times. It just depends kind of on the level of stress or if you actually are physically ill. Um, it actually can make your symptoms worsen. So some of the emotional and cognitive symptoms of generalized anxiety include uncontrollable and persistent worries, fears, and concerns. So this can be over things that you can't control, like, oh my gosh, is it going to rain today? Is it going to rain today? or things like that. An inability to deal with uncertainty about the future. So this is excessive worry about things also you can't control, but I, but specifically in the future. Intrusive thoughts. So these are thoughts that are negative that you don't want, and, and they just repetitively come up. Excessive planning and troubleshooting. So this is like, okay, at this time in a month from now, I'm going to be doing this, and this is how you kind of plan your schedule. Difficulty making decisions. Fear of making the wrong decision. Also, problems concentrating and an inability to relax. So, some of the physical symptoms include tense or tight muscles, aches and pains, difficulty sleeping, or fatigue. So, it could be one or the other. And some people with anxiety actually go through cycles, I would say. So, you can go bouts with having a really hard time to sleep. And then you can also go through bouts of sleeping way too much. Um, feeling restless, jumpy, or twitchy. You can have heart palpitations, um, and your heart can actually skip a beat sometimes. Digestive problems such as nausea or diarrhea, being easily startled, excessive sweating, needing to urinate more frequently than others. This is actually one that is, I didn't realize was actually that common when I started doing research, that was one that was very common. And then some of the behavioral symptoms include being unable to relax or spend quiet time alone. Also, too, some people with anxiety don't like to be alone or they just like to be alone. There's kind of a spectrum and it can also fluctuate. Uh, switching between tasks or not finishing tasks due to finding it difficult to concentrate. Spending excess amounts of time completing simple tasks. Redoing tasks because they are not perfect. Avoiding situations that trigger anxiety, including socializing with others and speaking in public. 
missing school or work due to fatigue, fear, or other symptoms, and requiring reassurance and approval from others. People with generalized anxiety often have co-occurring conditions as well. These may include other anxiety disorders such as phobias, obsessive-compulsive disorder or social anxiety, depression, or drug and alcohol misuse. Researchers have also noted that a number of physical conditions often occur alongside with anxiety disorders. These include gastrointestinal disease, cardiovascular disease, skin disorders, cancer, chronic pain, migraine, dementia, and Parkinson's disease. In some cases, anxiety may trigger physical symptoms. However, having a chronic health condition can also lead to anxiety. So what does diagnosis kind of look like for generalizing anxiety disorder? So a doctor or mental health professional may diagnose JAD according to the criteria in the American Psychiatric Association uh, Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Mental Health Disorders. Uh, you'll hear me sometimes abbreviate that. It is currently the DSM-5. That's the new updated version. Which is basically, for you who don't know, it's basically like the Encyclopedia of Mental Health Disorders. So you can actually look it up and it will tell you the symptoms and criteria a person has to meet to be diagnosed with that disorder. Um, so to receive a diagnosis of GD, a person must have excessive anxiety and worry in several areas of their life on more days than not for at least six months or more. They have to be difficultly controlling these worries. At least three of the following symptoms, or just one in the case of children, which are restlessness, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, irritability, tense muscles, or sleep problems, significant distress, or problems functioning in social settings or at work. Also, these symptoms must not result from substance abuse or any other medical condition. To confirm a diagnosis or rule out physical conditions they may cause, that may be causing symptoms, a doctor may perform a physical examination, take a detailed medical and family history, use a psychological, like a psychological questionnaire, or order, order blood test or urine. Which I found interesting in research too, I wanted to get, give you guys a little bit of some of the information on causes and risk factors of generalized anxiety disorder. So the exact cause of it is unknown, however, it is most likely occurs as a result of a combination of several factors, which is genetics, brain chemistry and structure, personality, life experiences, sex, and age. So how do those things kind of tie into that? So genetics, having a family history of generalized anxiety disorders increases the risk of actually developing it, according to some research. For example, children of people with generalized anxiety are more likely to develop the condition themselves than those whose parents did not have it. And then with the brain chemistry and structure, differences in brain functioning may increase the risk of developing an anxiety disorder. People with generalized anxiety disorder also show difference in brain structure on neuroimaging studies using MRI scans, which is really interesting. An imbalance of serotonin and the other brain chemicals are also present with GAD and other anxiety disorders. So there's actually like an imbalance of serotonin that you can see in the brain and other brain chemicals. So for personality, people who are timid or permissive may be more likely to develop generalized anxiety. Some research also suggests a link between anxiety disorders and neurotism, a personality trait wherein people view the world as unsafe and threatening. Through life experiences and ex uh, environmental factors, having a history of trauma such as abuse or bereavement may cause contribute may also contribute to generalized anxiety disorder. In addition, having a chronic illness can increase the chance of developing anxiety disorder, as can misusing addictive substances. 
Also, too, according to the research that I have found, estimates suggest that females are twice as likely as males to develop generalized anxiety disorder. And then age. Generalized anxiety disorder can affect anyone at any time at any age. However, the chance of developing it seems to be highest between childhood and middle age. Now, if you have anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder and you know someone that does, there is some treatment options that I want to go over for you guys. So, actually, treatment options depend on how severe the person's symptoms and how present they are and a bunch of other conditions. Many people require a combination of treatments, such as attending psychotherapy or making lifestyle changes. Um, medication sometimes can also be necessary. So, psychotherapy is basically working with a therapist who can actually teach the person how to effectively manage their symptoms. Doctors and mental health professionals will often uh, recommend cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety as it is both safe and effective. So they suggest that CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, reduces worry in people with JAD, with the effects being equal to those of medication and more effective six months after treatment completion because you physically learn how to manage your symptoms and sometimes make lifestyle changes in therapy. Other types of therapy that show promise in treating generalized anxiety include mindfulness-based therapies and acceptance and commitment therapy. This is a type of therapy that uses both acceptable, acceptable and mindfulness techniques. Now, med medication. In some cases, a healthy professional may recommend medication to help with your symptoms. Several types of medications can treat generalized anxiety, including... So, the most popular one is going to be antidepressants, and I... I'm not very common on medication, so I might butcher these names. So <laughs> another one is um, Bucerine, and then um, Benzopines, which is, Bucerine is an anti-anxiety medication that reduces the physical symptoms of anxiety. Um, it can actually take several weeks to take effect. And then Benzopines is occasionally doctors may prescribe a Benzopine for short-term anxiety relief. These medications are fact-acting but are highly addictive and may not be suitable for people with a history of addiction. So these can be ones where people are have really strong anxiety symptoms or like if they have panic attacks. And usually what they're talking about in this case is I believe um, like Xanax and um, some stronger anxiety medications that really knock people out. And then, which is one of my favorites to help deal with my anxiety, is lifestyle changes. So making lifestyle modifications can help people keep their worries and concerns under better control. Some examples of helpful changes to make may include exercising regularly, which really helps me. Honestly, that's been one of the best things for me to way to handle my stress. Eating a helpful diet. I know that sounds funky, right? Um, but really, um, a lot of sugary foods can actually release chemicals in your body that aren't good for you and actually kind of make you feel down or worried. And then reducing exposure to stressors, prioritizing issues and events, practicing mindfulness, meditation, or yoga, keeping a journal to help identify anxiety triggers and coping skills, avoiding alcohol and drugs, and limiting nicotine or caffeine too, because that can also cause heart palpitations or make you anxious, and then setting a sleep schedule to ensure seven to nine hours of sleep per night. So those are some things that you guys can do. And then let's say that you know someone or you yourself struggle with anxiety. How can you help, right? All of us worry and get scared from time to time, but those whose anxiety may feel consumed by the fears of things that they can seem irrational to others. It can be hard to relate to these concerns, and as a result, many people don't know how to best help someone with anxiety. 
people are often dismissive of people experiencing anxiety. With other medical illnesses, you may be able to see physical symptoms, but with anxiety, you don't necessarily see what the person is dealing with. So it's important to be sensitive to what the person with anxiety is going through, even if it doesn't make sense to you. It's distressing to watch the loved one experience panic attacks and face anxiety every day, but there are things that you can do to help. It starts with recognizing the signs of excessive worry and understanding the best way to support your loved one. Which is really interesting. Anxiety disorder is the most common mental health condition in the United States. So knowing the signs can really help someone. So where I talked earlier about some of those physical symptoms... Um, also, too, I wanted to highlight some of the anxious thoughts. This is how you can kind of pick up what your loved one needs help is believing the worst will happen, that persistent worry, all or nothing thinking, or ever overgeneralizing, making overall assumptions based off a single event. So I want to start off with what you can do with what not to do. <laughs> so typical responses to someone with anxiety are often unhelpful. Here are actions you should avoid. Do not enable. It is common to want to help your loved one avoid painful situations by going out of your way to eliminate the cause of concern. On the surface, this seems really thoughtful and sweet, but anxiety doesn't usually go away. Over time, it, if people continually avoid facing difficult situations, the anxiety grows, and special requests for accommodation get bigger and bigger. If you continue to modify your behavior or the environment to accommodate your loved one's anxiety, this can unintentionally enable the anxiety to persist and grow. Avoiding difficult situations doesn't give your loved one the opportunity to overcome fears and learn how to master anxiety. Instead, it makes their world smaller, as what they are able to do becomes more and more limited, and their growing anxiety becomes bigger and bigger. Another thing, though, on the other hand, you do not want to force confrontation. It is also not good to force a person to do something they're scared of. Trying to push somebody who's not ready can damage that relationship. Learning how to overcome deep apprehension is work best done in partnership with a professional therapist. This takes the burden off of you. It also empowers your loved one by helping them face their fears one step at a time with guidance from somebody with experience with, with things like this. And then use anxiety tips that work. Responses based on love and acceptance and the desire to see your loved one get better are the cornerstones of helping someone with anxiety. So try to consider these following approaches. Provide validation. Many different things can make people anxious. Say something like, I can't believe you're getting upset over such a small thing, belittles a person's experience. Instead, ask your loved one how you can support them during their challenging moments. What makes one person fearful may be no big deal to someone else. Their anxiety doesn't have to make sense to you. It's important to understand what the person is experiencing is real and requires sensitivity. Express concern. It's hard to see a loved one having an anxiety attack, but in the moment, there's not too much you can do to shorten the duration or noticeably lower the intensity of the panic attack. When you start to notice your loved one withdrawing from activities that they used to enjoy, you don't have to cover up your concern. Instead, it can be helpful to approach your loved one in a warm and positive way. You can start a dialogue by saying you've noticed certain behavior changes. For example, hey, I noticed that you've been avoiding going to blank, right? Let's say the beach and other social gatherings. Can you share with me what caused that change? Then depending on how the conversations goes, you might ask if they think that they need help or support in coping with their anxiety. 
Also, too, know when to seek help. If your loved one or you's anxiety starts to impede their ability to enjoy life, interact in school, work, or hang out with friends, or if it causes problems at home, then it's time to seek professional help. Encourage a loved one to make an appointment with a mental health provider. If they're resistant, you can remind them that it's just one appointment. It doesn't mean that you have to commit to treatment or to working with that specific therapist. It's really just an initial check-in, like an annual physical exam, but for your mental and emotional help. So this is my favorite part of the podcast, which is going to be at the end, which is basically the myth-busting section. So we're going to talk about some of the most common misconceptions about anxiety. So one of the most popular misconceptions is anxiety only targets a particular group of people. So this isn't true. Anxiety can affect anyone. Some people are super outgoing. Others are super quiet and reserved. It doesn't have like a type of MO. It doesn't have just one person it targets. The second one is anxiety has to look a certain way in people. Anxiety has no look or face. It can vary one day to another, one person to another. Like I said, sometimes symptoms come in cycles. So one day you could be super outgoing and the next day you could be super reserved. One day you can be super energetic and you could be super tired. It just depends on the person in the situation. Misconception number three, if you appear to be fine, there's no way you have anxiety. Many people with anxiety are able to hide it really well. Uh, there's a lot of high-functioning people who struggle with anxiety that they can carry out their day-to-day -day life but still have panic attacks and freak out. And they've just learned to kind of try to manage their symptoms in a way that makes them a little bit more hidden or more high functioning where people aren't really seeing those things or also too people are scared to be stigmatized and so people don't really open up about those things or open up about them being anxious misconception number four if people with anxiety just try hard enough they'll be able to calm down and stop worrying this isn't the case struggling with anxiety and being able to heal is a process it's not just something that you can snap your fingers and make better in a day this next misconception is everybody understands what severe anxiety feels like because everyone gets anxious. And I just finished a group therapy class in my graduate program, and the lady who led it pulled a great point out that there's a difference between being anxious and being stressed. And I believe everyone gets anxious at certain points, but I believe a lot of people mix up the two. And I believe I should do like a podcast episode on this after I'm done with this series to really highlight what the difference is between anxiety and stress. But I feel like this is part of that stigma here. And then while it's true that everyone gets anxious, severe anxiety feels much more intense than everyday anxiety. And then misconception number six, you can't just snap out of anxiety if you wanted to. So they're saying you can just snap your fingers and everything will be fine. Kind of like what I said earlier. There's no on and off switch for that stuff. If there was, that would be awesome. <laughs> anxiety can have a great deal of effects on an individual. There's no just snapping your fingers and everything's fine. Another one is anxiety is not a real medical problem. Anxiety can be overwhelming and have a huge impact on day-to-day -day thoughts and just the way they live. Like, for example, people with anxiety could be thinking about, why did I say that? Or why did I, like, replay that conversation in their head and, like, think about all the things that they could have done better. They're going to think about, did I double-check everything in the house? I must be forgetting something. Or what if everything goes wrong? Those are some thoughts that people with anxiety actually struggle with and that they have to learn how to do within their lives and kind of add to their anxiety. So 
I really hope you guys enjoyed listening. And my next one is actually going to be on bipolar disorder. And I'm really excited to talk about that as well. Um, so that should be in the next couple weeks. I promise I won't take as big as a break this time. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited. And all my spots are full now. So thank you guys so much for all the recommendations. And I'm excited for you guys to hear. So uh, reach out to me, though, if you want me to do any other podcasts after that. I'm going to kind of do like a, a mix of things that I have in the works. But thank you guys for listening. And that's the tea on mental health.